Hello and welcome to the Daily Reprieve Podcast, where the sexaholic or sex addict can find experience, strength, and hope from those that have traveled this road ahead of us. This episode is produced in the spirit of the 12th step to carry the message to other sexaholics. Every effort has been made to remove full names of the speakers in these recordings. This is done in order to follow the 11th tradition regarding anonymity at the level of press, radio, television, and film. This podcast is self-supporting through contributions. If you enjoy listening to this podcast and would like to support The Daily Reprieve, please do so by going to GoFundMe.com, search for The Daily Reprieve, and click on Donate Now. Without further ado, please enjoy today's Daily Reprieve. Good morning, this is Kent. I'm a grateful recovered sexaholic in Portland, Oregon. Uh, and today's uh, topic is embracing abstinence. And I appreciate the opportunity. And I appreciate uh, being asked to do so. And I'd just like to start with a prayer that I use, uh, which helps me to just kind of let go of myself. And that is, God, let your love shine through me like a fog light for those who are lost, sick, or dying, that they may find your love through me. Amen. The fog light prayer, and that's really kind of what I have come to understand the program to be for me. Uh, we're on this earth to help each other, and I need to get well so that I can uh, embrace a, a family and a whole life. And by doing so, others might be able to see that there is hope. And one of the interesting things when uh, Dennis asked if I would be willing to do this and this topic was uh, I don't know if he actually knew that I'm in a period of abstinence for quite a while with my wife, and it's by choice. And the topic uh, you know, title, embracing abstinence, I never thought of it as embracing abstinence, but that is absolutely true. I've totally embraced it. Um, you know, abstinence is a a wonderful tool that we have in our toolkit for helping us to understand uh, where lust resides in my life and what I am still lusting after and why. Um, I like to, I was looking at the uh, white book on this and I really enjoyed um, parts of it in the, in the sexaholism, the addiction, um, um, page 31, it talks about uh, without our drug, we begin to feel what it's like really going on inside. So when we have the withdrawal, when we stop acting out, we start feeling what's going on on the inside. We see that others who have gone before us have discovered that sex is truly optional once they've surrendered to lust, surrendered lust and to the expectation of sex. So if I've given up my expectation of sex, uh, and I am working to give up lust, then I can start seeing that sex really is optional. And uh, he goes on to say that the comfort and joy are genuine. They are neither, neither abnormal nor deprived. And I, I really believe that. When I got into the program, one of the guys that I asked to be my sponsor 
Um, and, and he did sponsor me for quite a while. At that time, he had been sleeping in a different room from his wife, and he was, they were abstinent. And at that time, they were abstinent three years, which I thought was unbelievable. But I knew that my wife and I were in a period of abstinence to begin with, and that was pretty uh, remarkable. I figured if he could do that, he could at least help me find out how to do that. <laughs> and that was a that was a good start for me. I um, found an article. Actually, it came into the uh, Geek Camp group, an article written by Harvey and published in June of 2011, which is about four months before I came into the program, that talks about sex and marriage. And in that, he talks uh, quite a bit about uh, abstinence. It's kind of funny. I read this article and uh, noted a couple of things that um, I realized that I needed to do, he says in this article, that I needed to do one thing that I did not want to do. I had to ask my wife for a period of sexual abstinence. I was sure my wife would be aghast at such a suggestion. I sheepishly asked her if she would mind if we went on a short abstinence period. I was shocked by her immediate response. With a look of disgust on her face, she said, certainly, it's all right. I've had enough sex with you to last me a lifetime. My wife said the same thing to me, <laughs> and we had no idea that other people would have the same sort of feelings. What I've come to understand is that um, I've used my wife as a sexual tool. She was the respite for me when I wasn't getting sex out there. Oh, I didn't start with the nature of my addiction. The nature of my addiction is using it, abusing boys and men physically, emotionally, and spiritually from the age of eight until I was 53 and entered the program of recovery where I got sober, accepted a power greater than myself, which has restored me to sanity, and therefore I've discovered recovery. And uh, for that, I can never be sufficiently grateful. And when I wasn't getting my sexual pleasures outside the measure, uh, marriage, then I would definitely turn back inside the marriage to relieve my sexual tensions. And our relationship was always like that. It was like a ping pong game. I was always going out of bounds, but I'd come back and, and volley over the net periodically. And it was very unfair and very, we had a great sexual relationship, but she was never enough. And that's just because of my own addiction. So when I, somewhere about a year before I even found the program, I was so convinced that I was in the wrong relationship that I uh, pretty much withdrew from her sexually. We've showered together almost all of our lives. We've been married now for 38 years, been together 39 years. We've showered most days together. And in the early days, it was sexual. And in the latter days, it was just perfunctory. You just got to get up and take a shower in the morning. And uh, there's something about the companionship that I really liked. But the lack of physical 
connectedness and the lack of emotional connectedness was an incredibly difficult thing to bear. And when I got into the program, um, we had a couple of incidences of uh, sexual intimacy and I just wasn't ready for it. And she had complained earlier and that she was feeling as if she was um, anorexic, sexually anorexic. You know, she's forced into uh, abstinence. But when we both kind of reached our emotional and spiritual bottoms and found our own concept of our own higher power and began rebuilding our relationship, I simply turned to her and I said, I will never press you for sex again. If you want to have a sexual relationship with me, you determine that and I give it to you. This is my gift to you so that you know that I treasure you as a human being. Um, I don't think it was that eloquent. I think it was a little more gruff, certainly a lot more standoffish and sheepish as um, Harvey likes said in his little uh, article there. And she said, thank you. I've had enough sex with you to last me a lifetime. And I was really surprised when I read this in Harvey's article. It's like, wow, other people actually go through this. This is not abnormal. When I use another person for my sexual pleasures, I am in lust. So when I turn back to the white book and I look at um, page, is it page 20, I think it was, where he's talking about um, 22. I had, let's uh, see, nope, there it is. This precipitated a lust binge. Uh, that lasted on and off for three months. It was sheer hell. During that time, I more than made up for the year and a half of abstinence and wound up in pitiful and comprehensible demoralization. So as Roy writes later in the white book, I was not, 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 not until not was not good enough and I went back out there. And that's what this is talking about. I can be dry with my wife, but abstinence without intimacy is strictly a dry drunk. Do I want to be sober in my marriage and a dry drunk and just avoid doing the work and avoid becoming a, a whole human being? Or do I want a to be a whole person? Do I want to uh, have a life and a love and a partnership and and a commitment. And it would not matter whether I was married or whether I was not married. Th that commitment goes to all people. If I want to be intimate and committed to all people, then I need to be willing to be abstinent so that I can get all of these feelings up and out and I went through a long period of, of alternating from rage to ecstasy to, to um, depression to, um, to joy 
bouncing all over the walls in letting emotions come through. I've been having sex with myself or with other people since the age of eight. And I never stopped. Nothing ever stopped. I can't tell you how, well, <laughs> where is it? It says it somewhere in the white book, you know, we, we, we knew how to stop. The problem was we didn't know how to stay stopped. And that was, <laughs> that was it. But later on in Roy's story on page 24, he's talking about the healing in his marriage and his family. And he says that um, there, what else can you call Each time I have to surrender my right to sex and depend upon the grace of God. That's really the point of abstinence for me is surrendering my right to sex. I do not have a right to sex. As they talk about in the big book, this is merely uh, an instinctual drive, which I've taken to a very unhealthy place. And it became, lust became my, my drug. It became the driving factor in my life. So I surrender the right to sex and depend on the grace of God. What else can you call it? And there are times my wife and I have gone in, uh, gone without sex for extended periods. Um, when I read that the very first time, some years ago, I was a little astounded. No, I was astounded. There's no little about it. <clears throat> and what I couldn't really understand was the desire to do it voluntarily. And here it is on page 30 on the white book, um, where he's talking about uh, sexaholism and the addiction, and he goes into abstinence. Says the term abstinence refers to the phenomenon where the tip, typical addict tries to quit using the addictive agent or activity. How many times did I try to stop doing it by myself? That really wasn't abstinence. It, it, you know, I wasn't acting out necessarily, but my brain was on fire. And this called attempt, he said we should call it attempted abstinence. We swear off again and again. How many times did we say we had to stop? How many times did we actually try stopping? Some of us stopped every time we acted out. <laughs> That's true. That's not really abstinence, though. That's not getting to the very uh, heart of the whole withdrawal from the drug of lust, which is the next part of that white book. And it talks about uh, the transition to sobriety, we're in a state of shock. I, I, was, I was in a state of shock. I came in on October 10th, 2011 into the meetings and I worked hard not to masturbate, not to contact old partners, to delete old phone numbers, to get rid of all of the email accounts because I knew that if those crutches were there, I would go back to those crutches and I didn't want to go back to those crutches. Please help me shut this down so that I don't go back to that. I desperately wanted to change. I wanted to be a better human being. I wanted to be the person that I thought I ought to be the person I kept trying to make myself be in my own 
disease without understanding that the broken brain cannot fix the broken brain. I didn't get that. I didn't get that for quite a while until I was dry, sober, and finally abstinent in the program. Later on in this particular section, Roy talks about that uh, without our drug, we begin to feel what's really going on inside. That's the point here. It takes time to adjust to all this, and the support of others of our fellowship is vital. That's where the fellowship comes into play. That's why going out to the breakfast or lunches or dinners afterwards really is vital. That fellowship, that getting to know each other and, under, and building a support network of people who understand is incredibly vital for our survival. I didn't realize this. I'm just kind of a people person. I like to be around people. So it was natural for me to invite myself to go out to these breakfasts. But it's vital for building the, the, the bridge and the, and the help, um, the help for trans, traversing these, these rocky roads. Um, journeying this new road together, together helps us take the fear out of withdrawal. So when I enter and I go into a, quote, dry period, that's withdrawal. And all of these emotions come up and all of these problems come out and all of these things happen that, that I have forever, all of my life, pushed aside and decided not to deal with them. And now without my drug, it, I don't have a chance but to deal with them. And I don't know how to deal with them. And I'm not equipped to deal with them. And as they roll out, I want to go back to my drug. That's what withdrawal has done. But, Roy goes on, we see that others have gone before us, have discovered that sex is truly optional once they've surrendered lust and the expectation of sex. And their comfort and joy are genuine. They are neither abnormal nor deprived. Now, I read that earlier, but now in context of moving through the initial stages of, of our sobriety, it has a little greater um, context. Married members discover they can go into periods of voluntary abstinence to recovery uh, from lust and find them surprisingly effective and rewarding. That's a remarkable uh, concept. And the fact is, there is life after sex. So I asked my wife, I let her know that it was up to her to decide when she was comfortable to have sexual relations with me again. And that was over six years ago. And I'm okay with that. There is life after sex. And now that doesn't mean I don't miss it. I do miss it. I would like to, but it's not the driving force. It is not my right. It is not her duty. It is none of those things. It is merely an expression between two people who are committed to each other and love each other. And that's where the release comes from for me is that it's not a necessary thing anymore. Um, <clears throat> one of the 
cute things, cute, funny things that I remembered in the white book was back there in the sobriety definition where he's talking about the differences. Um, the, okay, back there on page 192, we have found that more important than the mere length of our calendar sobriety is its quality and our own personal integrity. If I'm sober today, that's good. All I have to do is repeat these same things tomorrow so that I can be sober tomorrow. I can't plan to be sober tomorrow, but I can ask God for the strength and the willingness to repeat the actions that I took today that God granted me sobriety. So if I continue that the next day, then my uh, quality of sobriety will begin to improve. Physical sobriety is not an end in itself, but a means toward an end. Victory over the obsession and the progress in recovery. Victory over the obsession. The obsession to lust. I need to have sex. No, I don't. There's been a a new pamphlet that has been approved by the General Delegate Assembly called Do Men Need to Have Sex? And if you have a sponsee, or if you have a question of your own and you're wondering whether this is a reality, it's not a reality. If you'd like to pick up the brochure, you can get it online from SA. We don't have to have sex. Um, We're offering the only ones who know the inside of our souls, whether we are truly sober and in recovery. Better to acknowledge that we really are than hide behind the badge of a sobriety date, cheat ourselves and threaten our union with another. When we are not true to the concepts of abstinence, that is, we give, I give myself to my wife when she is ready, not when I think that she thinks, I think that she ought to be ready. Um, Then, then I can have true union with her. The fact that the marrieds can have sex with their spouses and call them sober is no advantage at all. If you're married in this program and you're having sex with your spouse, are you still sober? You know, that was an interesting uh, question. Uh, Harvey wrote about that in his article uh, about sex. And he was in a meeting and a member in the meeting mentioned that he and his wife had set a sex a date where they would be sexually intimate. And over these years after he had told his wife that he would, you know, like a period of abstinence, they took various different periods of abstinences through their, um, their marriage. And he wrote that after they had had a period of uh, sexual intimacy, only when the spouse requested it, and for years they took turns requesting it. But as he shares in here, um, really what he needs to work on is that if the primary is intimacy, if the primary channel of intimacy in my marriage, uh, then if I beg your pardon. If sex is the primary channel of intimacy, then lust is more likely to invade the relationship. I think that's an important concept. 
I can have sex with my wife, but if that's what I see as connecting with my wife, then I'm really opening the door for lust. I'm not really trying to be intimate with my wife. So he gives a bunch of points in there about how to work on setting up a, a time and a situation with his wife uh, on uh, becoming romantic and being uh, intimate on a schedule. Now, that seems counterintuitive, but to me, that seems like actually what it does is it opens up the knowledge that just because I want to be romantic with my wife doesn't mean that I have an end game plan. If if it can be at any time, if I can ask my wife any time to have sex with me, um, she would never know if my advances of love and caring and nurturing and touch were really with an end game in sight or if they were just giving of myself. I have to learn to be giving of myself and the way to do that for me Uh, is through uh, sexual abstinence, which allows me to have the ability to focus on her needs, to focus on the things that are important to her, and to focus on what will improve my relationship with my wife, not focus on what will improve my chances of having sex with my wife. So, Embracing intimacy, uh, intimacy, well, embracing intimacy as a Freudian slip, or maybe it was just a, a, a God-given uh, word. Embracing intimacy is the result of embracing abstinence. So by embracing abstinence and accepting that sex is not an end and sex is not a means, but sex is a God-given union between two people, I can embrace intimacy. Um, I will say that one of the things that my wife has said numerous times, and I've felt it, I certainly agree with her on this wholeheartedly, but I was really glad to hear her say it. And that is, these last six or seven years, while the initial times were pretty hellacious to get through, you know, withdrawals. These last seven years are the best seven years of our life. And as I said, you know, I came into this program married 31 years, together for 32 years with the same person and not wanting to be here. And now there's no place else on earth I would rather be than with my wife. There are times that I'd rather, you know, exchange her, but (laughs) that's just natural human interaction. I get that now. It isn't the real, it isn't the reality of life. It is just the reality of two people trying to get along, sometimes both pretty bullheaded and sometimes very strong in their opinions. But with the help of my sponsor, with the help of my fellowship, with the help of uh, God, as I understand God, this is a a great way of life. Now, for the um, single 
people, and I have a number of single sponsees, I have to say that I can only imagine what it is like. I hear both sides of this uh, question, you know, is it easier to be abstinent when you're single or, or is it easier to be abstinent when you're married? Well, it's easy when you're married because you're, you have your wife there and you can always have sex. Well, like I just said, that's not uh, increasing my intimacy. If I'm just having sex, I'm not increasing intimacy and I'm not decreasing lust. I'm opening up the door for lust. But as a single person, if I, and I've, you know, talked with sponsees about this, that if I'm focused on what I don't have, i.e. I don't get to have sex, then I'm going to be miserable. I'm opening up the door for lust. I'm opening up, I'm shutting down the door for intimacy with other people. I'm shutting down the opportunity to grow. So for me in marriage or for someone who might be in uh, with, without a partner, I would recommend, obviously, uh, gratitude lists, service, getting out of my head. When I'm feeling like I'm not getting what I want, I'm stuck in my head. It's a character defect that's going on there, selfishness, self-centeredness, um, self-focus, self-pity. Let's, let's just go down the list. There's something going on that is uh, driving me away from intimacy with my higher power and therefore driving me away from intimacy with uh, all of those around me. There's somebody in my group, my home group, who always talks about his relationship with God is directly proportional to his relationship with, with the fellowship. That the only way that he can connect with God and really feel God and hear God is through his fellows, those of us in the rooms. And that's really true for me. I hear and I, I get a clearer picture of where I'm supposed to be when I am connecting with other people. So if I'm feeling lack, if I'm feeling want, if I'm feeling uh, disconnected, then I've, I have disconnected from my higher power. And so I need to find some way, use some tool in my toolkit to bring myself back around. And it's not something I can do without asking for help. And I start by asking my God for what should I do? And gratitude lists work wonders to get me back on it. And then pick up that darn phone and make some phone calls. That's not going to fix me. It's going to lift me. And if I can be lifted, then I can breathe again and I can take the next right step. But if I'm looking for a fix, if I'm looking for my rights, if I'm looking for things that I believe are owed to me, then I will never be freed of lust. I will never be intimate with other people because I will always be looking to get something out of any kind of relationship. Um, let's see. On page, let's see, what is this page? This is uh, 12, uh, step 12 of the white book. Page 154, I believe it is, or the bottom of page 153, actually. Um, Roy writes that, during periods of voluntary sexual abstinence, 
we came to realize that true union could not be based on sex dependency of what sex or dependency of whatever sort during those times abstinence we discovered that we were actually closer together on a deeper level uh, she his wife discovered that she didn't have to give herself sexually in to earn her husband's favor and I discovered that I was drawn to her as a person and actually preferred the warmth of non-sexual relations relating insofar as the fostering of our union was concerned. That's one of the great gifts of abstinence. We learn who the person is. My wife and I, our, our relationship started sexually. You know, hey, I haven't driven this model before and she's cute and she's available. Why don't I just give her a whirl? She's interested. And so we did. Our our relationship began sexually. It evolved sexually. It revolved around sex all of our lives. Even after we got married, it was just it was all about sex and what we could do with it. And throughout our our marriage, sex was a tool that she used in order to keep me rooted here and sex was a tool that I used for uh, to keep myself satisfied when I wasn't getting it somewhere else sex was the focus relationships built around sex can't last and that's where we had gotten to when I entered this program somehow we stuck it out for 31 years but that's what happened when I entered this program what I've discovered is exactly what, what Roy writes about here. I discovered that I was drawn to her, my wife, as a person and actually preferred the warmth of non-sexual relating insofar as fostering our union. We have a much stronger union and a much stronger marriage and a much deeper appreciation and love for each other than we've ever had. <clears throat> as I said earlier, we're both bullheaded and tenacious. And that's probably one of the reasons that we stuck together. And as she and I have always said, there's a reason God put us together. Neither one of us is religious. I have some religious background. She has none. But we both always said, there's a reason we're together. And we don't know what it is. But by God, we're going to keep putting our heads down and button our heads and stick it out. And we did. Now the reason has been revealed. It's because we really care and love about each other as human beings. She's not a sex object. She's not a toy. She's not uh, um, something for me to manipulate, control, force. Um, she's a human being with her own drives and ambitions and wishes. And now that she's gotten through a lot of her early growth period and for those of you who are in early growth period, you hear it, and it seems like it's going to be that way for the rest of your lives. It's not. If we choose abstinence, and if we choose respect, and we choose to step back from using the, the tool of lust, which is sex, as our driving anchor with another person, if we let go of that, this is yet another one of those many things which we hear of all the time. Let go, let go, let go, and let God. 
if we let go of that driving anchor, that tool, lust has nothing to grab a hold of us with there. Yeah, there's plenty of places that lust is going to come out. And we have to be aware of that. I had to be very aware of that. Lust started coming out in a lot of different areas. Uh, alcohol is where it really came out next. Yes, I'm one of those guys who did not come into the program from Alcoholics Anonymous. I came into the program because I was driving myself and my wife and our son insane. Alcohol then took off. So I'm now in AA and sober there too. But the reality is lust will find its outage. It just happens to be that we have to let go of that anchor, that tool that lust uses to uh, to force ourselves upon our upon our upon our world, whether we actually sexually act out with other people or not. The way that we react to other people and interact with other people is driven by that tool. So if I stop that, then then, and I don't stop it, I have to give it up, then we will have, I'll have a better life. In that step 12 conclusion. Kent, this is, that, this uh, is Jacob, I just wanted, it's 153, I just wanted to give a little bit of time for sharing, uh, maybe some questions. You bet. So if you, you, bet. If you had I just wanted like to close this up. Great. Yep. In that last portion there, in step 12, uh, Roy writes, uh, my own attitude and recovery are key. My attitude towards abstinence, my attitude towards sobriety, my attitude towards loss, and my recovery are the key. They open the door to recovery and spiritual life in my family and in the larger circle of relationships. If I embrace abstinence and I embrace all that comes from that and I embrace the growth that is, comes from that, my life gets better, and so do the lives of those around me. So with that, I will go ahead and close, and I thank you all for, um, for uh, joining today, and thank you guys for putting this together. This is fantastic. I really appreciate the opportunity. This is Kent from Oregon. And uh, I'd like to thank our speaker, Kent, for your service for the group today. We'll now open the conference for questions to our speaker as well. Who'd like to go first with 30 days? And press star six to unmute yourself. Rough crowd. Cindy. Uh, oh, Cindy, go ahead. Thanks. Hey, thanks, Jacob. I, I hadn't unmuted myself. I just uh, wanted to thank Ken for your share today and ask if there's some surefire way to be able to distinguish between sexual anorexia and a quote-unquote voluntary abstinence period. Or you have any pointers as to how to untangle that? And I'll give you just a slight background. I definitely have had the sexual anorexia present in my life in the past. <clears throat> I mean, I had a couple decades of total sexual acting out in the beginning of my marriage was that way. And then there was some magical point where things were just utterly found disgusting in my mind uh, to engage in that fashion with my husband. 
and I, it, it's, it's changing. Uh, we've had periods of true union connection or what I think that it is, but boy, there are days that I think in my brain, sex is optional. What's the big deal? Why should we even make this a point in our lives? So please just share your own experience. And again, thanks for your, thanks for your share thus far. Thanks. Um, actually, the, it, it sounds to me like you are uh, finding that. It's different for every person, uh, was the only thing that I can say. And that the reality is that for, uh, initially, it's more of an anorexia. For me, I just, I didn't really want to have sex with my wife. I didn't want to have sex with anything or anybody because I didn't want uh, lust to come up. But then as I got more uh, wanting to have a sexual connection, I turned it over to her. Um, I can't speak for her or what the difference is for her, but when I'm no longer focused on the end result, but rather on the internal result, then it's not anorexia. Then I'm focusing on my connection with God and with other people as, as human beings. That's kind of a real brief answer, and hopefully that uh, gives some uh, guidance as to what goes on in my brain. Absolutely. Thank you, Ken. There we go. Okay. Uh, who'd like to go next? Hi, this is Dennis. I'd like to share. I'll make it quick. Hey, Dennis. Yeah, Ken, thank you so much. That was uh, just so wonderful to hear about just the level and depth of the intimacy that comes from, you know, embracing and to give up all expectation and to really seek the, uh, the, the intimacy first. Um, I know my wife and I did two 90 days, uh, a 16 or 45, and absolutely it was just as much of a growing experience and um, just a period of really self-inspection as it was for me, as it was for her. She was quite surprised at how beneficial it was for her as well. So I want to thank you today for being our speaker. It was such a blessing. I really just really get, uh, zeroed in on the the whole aspect of seeking the intimacy um, that comes from abstinence. So with that, thank you, and I'll pass. Thanks, Dennis. Thanks. Um, this is Jacob. Uh... Let's see, we still have some time. Um, yeah, I really uh, appreciated the message, um, especially when you got to the singles part. Um, in some ways, I view it as easier right now um, because I know marriage will bring about a whole different uh, different challenges, and uh, I'll get to that when we're dealing with that. You know, I've kind of I've come to this acceptance where I don't need lust and I don't need to act out. Um, so that's kind of like, you know, to, to have marriage is to bring in a whole nother monster, which I don't want. Uh, but, uh, appreciate your message. Appreciate your share. Um, and with that, I'll pass. Thanks, Jacob. And this is Kenton. I'll just say that I have a sponsee who was single and then got married. And while I was dating, I simply, uh, I've talked with other people who have gone through that. And I got much the same feedback. So I just said to him, you know, you're welcome to do what you need to do for your life. 
just stay sober. If you lose your sobriety, you're going to have to choose between a relationship and, and, and recovery. Because obviously, when you get in a relationship, the dynamics and the hormones kick in in a different level. And that desire that, that I have a right mindset can overwhelm us. So um, that would be the only caution that I would say to anybody who's looking at dating who may be single right now is uh, stay attuned to that, that, that right to have sexual intimacy. This sponsor did stay sober. He's married. And they have a child now, and uh, sponsor call. I mean, he's very busy, very busy person. But he does say that uh, it would almost have been easier to stay single. <laughs> but that's just life. God has a different path for him. Thanks. Still got uh, time. For someone else wants to jump in. My name is Tristan. Can I share? Hey, yeah, go ahead. Hey, uh, my name is Tristan. I'm a sexaholic. Um, this is actually a really fortuitous timing for me, and um, I've been considering doing this for probably several years, actually, with my wife. and haven't really had the courage to, to really bring it up, um, but I've been working on a, kind of a game plan recently in kind of how to reintroduce intimacy, like sexual intimacy in marriage. Um, I've kind of created a something of like a, a schedule, I think, for how we can develop you know, the emotional and spiritual and and like the personal intimacy outside of sexual relations. Um, and didn't know if, if maybe Kent could kind of speak to that. And, and also I was going to find out um, if, if I could get maybe a reference to that, uh, that article by Harvey in uh, June 2011. Sure. Um, it's probably that article by Harvey actually is out there in the <clears throat> camp, and I can certainly send it forward to Dennis, or Dennis may be able to download it, um, and we can send it out. But we can also get reprints of it from SA. But the um, one of the keys of, to it is that I would approach it from the standpoint that it will help the two of you to um, uh, take a step back and allow you to breathe in your relationship so that you're not really stuck on the addiction. Um, one of the things that Harvey writes in there is that it permits his wife to know that when I'm nice to her on, on the days that are not the special days, there's no ulterior motive behind the behavior. I think I touched on that a little bit, but the the fact is developing a relationship with my wife is more important than having sex. And that's one of the great benefits of abstinence and periods of abstinence, agreed upon abstinence. Thank you. Thanks. Uh, that's all the time we have for now. Um, we'll see if we have a couple more minutes um, before